Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a Metsian podcast. Uh, on behalf of Sam and Rich, who are unavailable tonight, I welcome you to the show. My name is Michael Coland. I'll be hosting this evening's podcast, and I have uh, two guests with me this evening. Uh, first, let me introduce you to Greg Prince, author and proprietor of Faith and Fear and Flushing. Welcome, sir. Good evening. Why don't you uh, take a couple of seconds, tell us uh, more about what you do and where we can find it and what you've been up to very recently. Well, uh, a couple of hours ago I was tromping through the snow, and that was no fun. <laughs> hard, hard, to, hard to play baseball in the snow, Mike. Uh, otherwise, uh, yes, uh, along with my, uh, my friend and partner, Jason Fry, uh, Continue to uh, put out Faith and Fear and Flushing at faithandfearandflushing.com uh, throughout the off-season. Uh, not not to give uh, anything away where this show is concerned, but uh, just have a, a relatively new post up there ab- about the, the big story this week, which, of course, was the Cy Young voting. And um, got, a, got a few books out there. The most recent of them was Piazza, Catcher, Slugger, Icon, Star, available uh, wherever you order or purchase books. I was I was in a Barnes & Noble in Manhattan the other night, and I saw it was uh, right there uh, in alphabetical order by author. So please, uh, Mike Piazza is a good companion for Christmas or Hanukkah or any uh, holiday as far as I'm concerned. Put that on your list, folks. And if I'm not mistaken, I was expecting our second guest to join us a little later in the show, but uh, he's seems to be joining in a timely manner, if I'm not mistaken. Is this Mr. Gary Mack? It is, Michael. How are you? Hello, Greg. How are you? Hello, uh, Gary. Nice, nice to be with you and uh, you guys as always. And uh, I was not trudging through the snow today, uh, thank goodness. I retired, so I didn't have to trudge through the snow. Smart move. Excellent. Uh, Gary, take a second and uh, tell us what you've been up to and where we can find that. Well, um, I have been uh, doing, uh, continue to do my podcast, uh, Mets Musings, and that's available at MetsMusings.com. I also uh, do now a a golf podcast, and that's called Talking Golf with Gary, where I interview people from the golf world, uh, manufacturers, producers, uh, inventors, teaching pros, what have you. And uh, that's available at talkinggolfwithgary.blogspot.com. I know there's some Met fans out there that like to play golf, so I hope that they'll take a listen to the show. Uh, It's very interesting, and I'm having a blast doing it. And that's about it. I, I uh, was uh, did a uh, uh, fan forum with uh, Mr. Prince uh, here for Baseball and Barbecue, another podcast hosted by uh, two great guys. And, uh, in fact, I sat in for one of the guys. He got stuck in a snowstorm. <laughs> so I sat in tonight earlier as uh, they had an interview with an interesting guy who wrote a book about the, the legacy of Babe Ruth. So. Uh, keep him busy and, uh, but, you know, focusing in on the Mets and, uh, uh, and, uh, the golf podcast. Speaking of Babe Ruth, for you folks listening out there, if you haven't been to the hall of fame lately, I went last summer. Uh, and the time, uh, the first time I, I was there was, uh, 1990. So that was my second trip ever. Uh, at least 
I don't know, a 10 by 14 portrait of Babe Ruth when he was 22 years old. What an amazing sight. Uh, I just had to throw that in there. That was the first thing that popped into my mind when you mentioned his name. Uh, <laughs> but this is a celebration, or as I titled the show, a Cy Young celebration of Jacob's degromination. Uh, and what a season it was. I figure we start very quickly uh, with WFAN here locally, uh, sports radio and sports show host Steve Steve Summers attempted interview at the lone voter uh, who voted Jacob Degrom second on his ballot. Otherwise, Jacob Degrom received 29 of 30 votes to win the 2018 National League Cy Young Award. Uh, and I'm sure you guys heard it. I didn't hear it live, but it was on the radio all day long today. And I thought it was hysterical. First, that the man was just completely unprepared for Steve Summers' sarcastic sense of humor, or, or whichever which way you decide to describe it. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he didn't hold on, he hung up on Steve Summers. The fact that he didn't hold on and, and, and justify his voting somewhat perturbs me because far too often these voters get uh, to hide behind their votes. You never know whom they are in, in, in many situations. Uh, and they never really have to explain themselves. And, you know, it, it, be MVP or whatever voting it is, you always have these lone wolves who who, who like to do strange things. Uh, the whole fame ballot as well. Uh, but this gentleman decided he was going to hang up on Steve Summers and not answer any questions as to why. Uh, it turns out he was the only one who didn't place a first uh, first place ballot or vote in favor of Jacob DeGrom. So, Greg, why don't you get started on that? I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah, I, I did hear it. Uh, I, I imagine that if you are not a longtime listener, first-time caller, longtime listener of Steve Summers, uh, sort of being greeted with, uh, how do you look yourself in the mirror, which I believe is what he said to uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, Um You know, that, that could be a little off-putting. So... You know, I, I would, I, I'm tempted to cut the guy a little bit of slack, but you know, you you hang on, and uh, you know, you're you're a professional representing uh, you know your outlet and the Baseball Writers uh, Association of America and all of that. So, I think you can have a little more savvy and the, a little more lightheartedness. This, you know, is is not uh, somebody who cast the deciding vote against the Affordable Care Act or something like that. This is a guy who voted for the other guy for the Cy Young and is basically on the air to to discuss it. I don't think uh, it would have killed him to stay on. Um, I, I will say that there is an anti-Maffy, if I'm pronouncing the guy's name correctly, uh, Nick Picaro, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, the Arizona Republic was the lone dissenter in tonight's uh, revealed uh, MVP balloting in the National League. 29 of 30 uh, writers voted for Christian Yelich for MVP. Nick Picaro of the Arizona Republic voted for Jacob DeGrom. So he is, uh, he is America's hero tonight, as far as I'm concerned. Not, nothing against Christian Yelich, who I think deserved the MVP. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think it's fascinating that we've gone in a matter of maybe – three or four months, maybe less, depending on, on how you viewed it, from can a pitcher with far fewer wins than his competition 
win the MVP? Does excuse me, the Cy Young? Does he deserve the Cy Young? Could he possibly hang in there? To oh my God, can you believe one guy didn't vote for Jacob Degrom? Uh, it is such a swift sea change because we're we're not talking necessarily theoretical voting where you know there's plenty of baseball fans whether they were on board with this idea years ago or have come around to it in recent years that have no problem saying well you know Jacob DeGrom only won 10 games but who cares pitcher wins are not the be all and end all but I, I think we all have this sense that there is a stubbornness among the voting block that would say no Max Scherzer 18 wins, Aaron Ola 17 wins. How could Jacob DeGrom possibly compete? And, well, that's that's gone. Except for you know, John Maffey, who, by the way, wrote, wrote a perfectly reasonable column in response to all of this. I mean, it, reasonable up to the point where he doesn't vote for DeGrom. I, I part ways with him there, as I imagine we all would. But uh, he said, you know, he, he looked at both candidates. He watched their starts. On television, I don't think he actually covers baseball anymore. If he ever did, he must have because he's a BBWA member. And he and he let Randy Jones, a, a name that uh, I'm sure is familiar to our listeners, if not, uh, you know, Randy Jones lost to Cy Young and won a Cy Young against Met competition in the mid '70s, and is an icon in San Diego. So he uh, he talked. He said he talked to Randy Jones as he was trying to make this decision, which he claims he put a lot of thought into. And Randy Jones, not surprisingly, because, let's face it, uh, and, and not to stereotype, but, you know, a pitcher from long ago who was recognized for winning 20 games, what's he going to say? I don't believe in <laughs> pitcher wins. No, he told the guy, pitcher wins is the name of the game. So he said that swayed him, and he gave it to Scherzer, who, you know, I think if this, this vote were taken back in July, John Maffey, wouldn't have been alone. Remember, we, we were still in, the, in that phase of who deserves to start the All-Star game. Well, I mean, you know, every, everybody kind of shrugged and said, uh, well, you know, it's in Washington, let Scherzer do it. But, um, you know, time has moved on very quickly with this issue. And, you know, 29 out of 30 is pretty convincing. Uh, so I'm, I'm willing to let this guy uh, go about his business in San Diego, get back to covering high school football or whatever it is he does, because, you know, ju- judging by his Twitter feed and uh, the link on the San Diego Union Tribune, or Tribune Union, forgive me if I, I don't have that right, um, that's what he does. I guess, he, you know, it, it's hard these days to get enough voters in every market to vote on these awards because there aren't enough media outlets anymore. There are, there are in some places you have trouble getting one newspaper. Uh, you have newspapers that don't let their – Employees vote on these sorts of things because they don't want them making news. If, if, you, if you were to, to um, dig into the individual votes, I went naturally, I figured, oh, whoever voted for Scherzer must be from Washington. Well, I guess the, the Washington Post doesn't, well, has one of those policies because they had two national writers kind of taking up the slack as they sometimes do in this voting. So uh, I think, again, I don't, I don't want to criticize a guy I'd never heard of until last night. But uh, you know, I think they they they, go, they got a guy off the couch and said, "By the way, we need we need an extra voter. Can you do it?" So, um, <laughs> long long answer as usual. But um, you know, let's celebrate twenty nine voters who saw the light, who who didn't <laughs> care about ten and nine, 
uh, versus all the other numbers and just the, the general sense of degromination, as we like to say here in New York. Uh, so 29 for 30, uh, not not a bad percentage. Well, I'm going to continue having fun at this man's uh, expense. He's, <laughs> he's from San Diego. Gary, he's calling a, a New York City station. He has to realize potentially what he's up against. I, I still say he owed us an answer and an explanation, or at least a couple of sentences before he hung up. Is this guy California dreaming or what? Well, I think you're, you're, you're right to a certain extent. He did owe an explanation, and I think he knew he was calling a New York station. I don't think he realized who he was calling. Uh, you know, had it been someone else uh, that was uh, not as sarcastic, Steve Summers is very sarcastic. And uh, I, oddly enough, I think he's a California guy, isn't he? So, yeah, he's from uh, San Diego. Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. So, oh, oh, uh, yes, yeah. yeah, Steve Summers. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think he just got sideswiped, and and you know, we don't know. He might have been getting crap all day from people about this, and then just decided. Uh, you know, this was it, and this guy's giving me a lot of crap, and I'm just hanging. I've had enough, but uh, I, you know, um, and and really, if you think about it hard enough, if you want to, and you want to be ob- really objective, you can make an argument for Scherzer or even Nola. But uh, I, I mean, obviously, Degrom was the best pitcher of the season, and, and is wholeheartedly deserves the uh, Cy Young. But, I mean, there, there is an argument to be made, and I just think this guy, for whatever reason, didn't want to make it on Summer's show, and like I said, maybe he just got the, uh, you know, he might have been having a bad day from all of this, and then this was just the uh, icing on the top, and he just didn't want to go on, so he, he hung up. But uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny, you know, all <laughs> Uh, I found something humorous. I really did. But enough. I, I, I think we gave him his uh, two minutes of fame. Let, let's really get down to the celebration of Jacob DeGrom and the season that was. Uh, I, I got a whole bunch of stats that I've been uh, digging through and a whole bunch of questions for you guys. But I'm just going to start this in a, in a Metsian way. Uh, Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Award winners. There have been seven of them. Three of them have been Mets which, you know, is a tribute to this team's history and tradition of, of Tom Seaver, Dwight Gooden, now DeGrom, Fernando Valenzuela, Justin Verlander, Rick Sutcliffe, and Don Newcomb, Brooklyn Dodger. Only those seven men have won Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Awards in their career. Uh, this is the sixth Cy Young for the Mets. Uh, Tom Seaver has three. <laughs> Gooden, Dickey, and DeGrom now have one each. This is the second Mets Cy Young this decade. Uh, I'm not asking you to uh, follow up on what I just said. I figure I'd throw it out there. It's an open floor. Gary, take it away. Jacob DeGrom wins the Cy Young Award. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's great. I, I think it's uh, great for uh, advertising. I think the Wilpons are going to love this. Um, the whole uh, department, the uh, publicity department is going to love it. As uh, uh, Brody Van Wagen, Ningen, Ningen, Nugen, uh he's going to love this too, of course. Um, but it, it is a great thing. It, it, 
you know, it's a shame he didn't have more wins. And I guess I'm still a little old school and I do look at wins, but the ERA was so impressive. We haven't seen numbers like that, especially in this new age of uh, everybody wants to hit a home run and, uh, you know, uh, they're not uh, working at bats as much. Some teams do, some teams don't. But uh, swinging for the fences like crazy and the strikeouts and, and of course, that there will be those that say, well, that helped him too because a lot of free swingers mean he got more strikeouts. But if you watch the games, he, he was such – uh, such domination that if they only scored more runs, I mean, I think they said yesterday there was a stat he only gave up more than three runs once and all season, and and he gave up four. So um, you know that's pretty incredible in this day and age. And of course, he had a lot of games he came out and the bullpen blew it in a later inning, but uh, so did a lot of other pitches. But it's just a remarkable, you know, Felix Hernandez won a couple of years ago with a, a low um, a low win total, but had a great ERA and a great strikeout, much like uh, DeGrom. And I think, um, I, I have to say, I, I was surprised that it was such a huge 29 out of 30 votes. I was a little surprised at that. I thought it would be a tad closer. They had said he was the hands-down favorite throughout most of the second half. And I thought that uh, perhaps it would be a little closer. But, you know, Scherzer won last year and, and won before. And, and, you know, sometimes people just get sick of voting for the same guys. Um, and Nola, I you know, I, you want to say, well, his team didn't win, but they had a better record than the Mets. And maybe that's why. Maybe. DeGrom was so dominating and the Mets didn't win and they couldn't support him that people felt that he was, and he had the lowest DRA. So um, I I think it's just a great thing. It's a great thing for the franchise. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of optimism uh, this winter. Suddenly the year doesn't look as bad as it, as, as we, when we live through it, you know, uh, after the season was over, you sit back and you realize that they won more games than the year before. Not many, but they did. And uh, now you've got DeGrom winning the Cy Young. You've got a, uh, a new young general manager that you hope is going to revitalize everything. And, and, and I, I think I see and hear some more optimism in the offseason from Met fans. Greg, I'm just going to continue to spit out stats, but you know I'm, uh, I'm more interested in your opening observations. Uh, but I'll, next round, I want to get specific on the no decisions because I have some pretty interesting stats here. Uh, but what do you make of that? That seven of the seven people who won Rookie of the Year and the Cy Young, three of them are Mets. How about that? Yeah, maybe uh, maybe the Mets know how to scout pitching. Maybe it's something in their DNA. Of course, Tom Seaver's name came out of a hat. But uh, they had to uh, know enough to uh, put their their name into the hat in the first place. Uh, funny, Rick Sutcliffe, one of the guys you mentioned, you know, he won his Cy Young, and I think it was unanimous. Uh, I could be wrong on that. At you know, he had, he beat Doc Gooden, who put up a very good rookie year to win that rookie year. Who, by the way, also uh, was uh, kind of jobbed out of a unanimous vote. I think one voter went with Juan Samuel. And, of course, we all said, hey, 
wouldn't it be great if we could get one Sam Will in a few years and, and have him play center field for us? But I, I digress as usual. Um, it's really nice that we can get so much excitement out of an individual honor because, you know, it's one thing you, you sit and you root for your team throughout the year, but, you know, if, if, if you're a purely transactional fan, you know, the, the wins and losses are over. And now, you know, it's about an individual honor, and yet we all kind of invest ourselves emotionally in that. I know on this was Monday night that they, they did the Rookie of the Year, and I, I looked at the uh, the total of the National League, and I thought, that would be nice if Jeff McNeil was somebody would throw him a vote. I didn't think they would. But, yeah, somebody did. A Philadelphia writer gave one third place vote uh, to Jeff McNeil. And I was like thrilled for hours. I'm still thinking if one third place vote for Jeff McNeil out of 30 has gotten me this revved up, how exciting is it going to be on Wednesday night if everything goes according to what is projected? That was very exciting. Um, you know, J- Jacob DeGrom, you know, cl- clearly deserved it uh, d- despite the uh, the shortfall in wins. I think if, it, if anything, um, almost, again, we, we would have welcomed those being his starts resulting in wins, We both for him and for the team. It would have been a much different season. But I think this somehow gave, you know, an air of mystique to the season that somebody would just go out there and keep persevering and keep competing at such a high level despite the fact that his, his one-loss record at various times was below 500. For much of the second half, it was below 500. Hell, until the middle of September, he was an 8-9 and nine pitcher. And, you know, maybe that those last couple of wins you know, made it more palatable for all concerns oh, to, to go from... Ten, nine, no, nine, eight and nine to ten and nine doesn't sound like a lot, especially in the middle of the season. But uh, it, it probably helped. You got to remember the, the guys who vote for this, are, uh, you know, guys and ladies. I'm not sure who voted. Um, are in the business of crafting stories as as their beat. So to have not only the statistical backup, the analytical backup, but to have this story. Sort of like with R.A. Dickey, the year he won. Again, different different stories to be sure, but definitely, you know, a narrative. Uh, you know, Dickey, the, the guy who didn't win the Rookie of the Year, the guy who was, was never on the scene on anybody's radar until he came to the Mets, and then certainly wasn't on anybody's Cy Young radar entering the season that he won it. And, you know, R.A. Dickey was, was such a unique character. Jacob deGrom, not, not quite that sort of, backstory, but you know, hey, isn't this fascinating? Yeah, Max Scherzer's having a great season, but Max Scherzer's had great seasons. Aaron Nola's having a great season, and even though he's, you know, stepped up, it's just kind of another pitcher winning games when he pitches well. Here's a guy who is just, you know, pushing that boulder up the hill, pushing it better than anybody else, and doesn't care that he's not getting credit for it, essentially. So, you know, I, I think just the stars aligned here, and you know, again, the 1.70 ERA, I think, overrode everything. But if his ERA was even a little higher, and yet he had 15 wins, I don't necessarily think it's uh, the, uh, I was going to say a slam dunk, but that's a basketball expression. I don't think it's a can of corn that, uh, that Jacob deGrom runs away with it. But, uh, you know, he did. And, you know, he deserved it. It was just the, the, the momentum that his season picked up as it went along 
and and that this was really the only thing we had to root for as Mets fans. Uh, you know, again, you know, like like Gary said, you know, the, the season kind of looks a little better in retrospect. Uh, it ended better than it proceeded for the most part, but September was pretty good. And now we're at a stage where you know snow snow is unfortunately on the ground, but but our our we are, as Casey Kasem said, reaching for the sky, even with our feet in the snow on the ground. You know, we're feeling pretty good. We got a general manager, and we haven't not signed anybody yet. So um, it's, <laughs> this this will be the you know we'll look back on it. Hey, remember the just like you know you, you uh, invoked Felix Hernandez. You know, this will be looked back on. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe this resets. The paradigm, and every year nobody will look at wins and losses, uh, and, and it won't be, seem like a big deal. But I think it will. I think the year that the guy who won ten games as a starting pitcher won the Cy Young, I think it's still going to hold some sway. And I'll just, I'll just throw, throw, throw this in on that subject. I was I was trying to trying an exercise in empathy. I was thinking, well, what if you know, Jacob Degrom had Max Scherzer's season, and Max Scherzer had Jacob Degrom's season? Would I be sitting here saying? My God, he won 17 games. How do you not give him? So, so yeah, and you know what? I mean, probably I would have done that just because I would have been conditioning myself for the last several months. But on the other hand, I just don't feel that impressed by wins anymore. I think like all of this kill the win, Brian Kenny lobbying, you know, was, was was working away at my nerves for years. And finally, watching Jacob Degrom's season just kind of convinced me. And and I'll throw in the, the postseason, which had nothing to do with the voting, but just how little emphasis there is on leaving a pitcher in for, for to make sure he gets the win. You know, going back three years to the 2015 postseason, I remember being disappointed uh, both in the NLCS and the World Series, unfortunately, both game fours. Uh, Stephen Matz was not left in by Terry Collins to, to get the win or to be in position for the win, unfortunately, in the World Series. Uh, it, it went The win went away, but that's another story. And it's like, that seems so long ago now, that that idea of worrying about a pitcher getting a win, especially in the postseason. And, it's you know, it's mattered less and less for years. It's It, it was fun as hell in in 2012 when we were counting counting up with, with Ari Dickey to 20 wins because we hadn't had a 20-game winner since Frank Viola, what was it, 22 years at that point. But uh, it just seems like one of those statistics that, you know, you, you'll hear about less as we go along. Uh, you know, when we were younger, I, I think I, I'm, I'm sure that, that you guys were conscious to a certain degree as I was of total bases, because uh, that was like seemed like the most ultimate measure of how good an offensive player is. When's the last time you heard anybody bring up total bases as as like a a, a tiebreaker or something? Uh, I think wins are, are on their way to kind of being one of those things that it, it'll be there and, unless there's a radical change of the rules. But it, it it doesn't feel determinative of anything. And then you know, again, you're you're talking to a a guy like like each of you who who grew up, you know, reveling when when Seaver got to 20 wins on the last day of the season in 1971, and you know, thrilling to Jerry Kuzman, you know, getting his 20th win after you know almost 10 seasons in the big leagues, and and Doc Gooden become the youngest 20 game winner of all time, and David Cohn getting to 20 and three, and you know, stuff like that and Dickie, like I said. So, you know, it, it's great. Those are great numbers, but they just don't seem to mean that much in the scheme of, of, of getting out and preventing runs. And nobody did that better than Jake. Uh, and he said that himself, paraphrasing, my job is to prevent runs. Let me throw out another layer of statistics out there. 31 times 
during the regular season, he allowed three runs or less. On April 10th, uh, his third start of the season, he allowed four earned runs and six innings pitched. From that moment forward, he embarked on his record, major league record of 29 straight starts of three runs or less, or losses, or no decisions. And we're going to talk about no decisions. How about this layer? Five times he allowed three runs. Five times he allowed two runs. Twelve times he allowed one run. Eight times. He didn't allow any runs. Uh, he allowed more than three runs just once all season. Uh, and what a hell of a finish. All right, second layer of statistics here. Check this out. Listen closely. And this has everything to do with wins and losses, Greg. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. No Rate of no decisions. I'm going to start with Tom Seaver in 1969. Rate of no decisions was 9%. His second Cy Young season, 1973, he went 19 and 10. His rate of no decisions was 20%. 1975, his rate of no decision was 14%. Let's move up to Doc Gooden, 1985. He goes 24 and 4. His rate of no decision is 20%. R.A. Dickey, he posted a 20-6 and six record in what, uh, 2012, I believe it was. His rate of no decision was 24%. Back to Tom Seaver very quickly, his career rate of no decision was 22%. Now, Jacob deGrom. This season, his rate of no decision was 41%. Over his career, he's made 139 starts and has factored in 96 decisions, 43 no decisions, 31% for his career. This season, 41% no decisions. Uh, So Gary... Uh, Greg brought up wins and losses. It's true. Wins are getting devalued. Uh, take this anywhere you please. Well, I, I think it shows a couple of things. I think it shows the, uh, uh, as as Greg was talking about, the pitchers don't finish games anymore. Don't forget Seaver when he pitched, he, he pitched seven, eight, nine innings, even in losing games. So, you know, the the lack of a no decision is not going to be there as it is nowadays. Nowadays, a guy gets in trouble in the third inning, they're looking to pull him. Uh, not necessarily DeGrom, but, I mean, we saw it in the World Series, guys getting pulled in the second and the third inning. Yeah, it's ludicrous, I think. Um, but I, I, I think the numbers have played such a game with us now and, and got into the heads of everybody that we're going to go see this. And it's just a different game. And you know, these guys go out and they throw it 100% for four, five, six innings, and they're out of gas and they got to pull them. And, and years ago, they, they didn't do that. I mean, they went, they went seven, eight, nine innings sometimes. Uh, you know, Warren Spawn pitched in the game, I think it was 14 innings, uh, shutout baseball, or one run ball. Um, 
it's just different now, and I think we're going to see a lot of these no decision things raise up. Um, and I think, you know, blown saves are going to raise up. It's just something you're going to see because the, the starters don't go deep like they used to. And I know he pitched 200 plus innings, but, you know, some of the guys in the old days used to go 300 innings or 290. Now, 200 is great, and, and that means he, he got into a lot of games deep. But there were games he was out by the fifth or sixth inning as well. So uh, it, it just the game is just different now. It's going to smear another layer of, of statistics upon you, and you just take it where you will. Max Scherzer received or or or, or – received the benefit of the 10th best run support this season. Jacob DeGrom was 56th. Incredible. Take it where you will. Yeah, I I can't remember the name of the White Sox pitcher, but he had a a similar, maybe even an exact uh, match of a one-loss record, 10-9, and something like that. And his ERA was (laughs) 6. And you know, same same as Degrom, but you know, five, you know, four and a half runs, whatever it was, difference. Uh, you know, there are things that are out of your control. It's it's funny to to consider, you know, the the, the stuff that that you read off about uh, percentage of no decisions for those Cy Young predecessors, because certainly in Seaver's day, certainly in Gooden's day. Uh, not as often with Dickey, although maybe uh, a little more in the, in the couple of years before he won the Cy Young. And, uh, you know, thinking back to aces like Pedro Martinez, Johan Santana, perhaps uh, Al Leiter, guys like that. Um, it was always, hell, Matt Harvey when he was at his unfortunately brief peak. Uh, these were guys who were having great games and would last seven or eight innings, maybe even nine innings. And they would leave without a, a decision, or the, or worse, they would leave on the winning side, and uh, you know, a, a Jesse Orozco, a John Franco, whoever would uh, would, would take it away from him. Um, so it's it, it's hard to you know when, when you consider the history of that, which probably happens to every pitcher, but when you're a Mets fan, you're just convinced it only happens to our guys. Uh, to realize that Degrom was such a victim of those sorts of things happening, both the non-support on the offensive side and the bullpen that uh, couldn't keep its act together on his behalf. Uh, you know, it just makes the whole thing seem even more amazing. You know, I would like to believe that because the Mets, you know, whether it is in fact their DNA in terms of, of uh, cultivating uh, good pitching uh, would have a an advantage in the new age of baseball where you know as as well I think we got a pretty good sneak preview of the way things are probably going to go because if if, if it works in the postseason people are probably going to try to at least for a while you know draft onto that and and institute it more you know the idea that starting pitchers so rarely went deep into games in the postseason well the Mets are that seems to be that that rare exception. You know, we saw DeGrom go seven or eight innings his last five starts and, and you know, generally never go less than six innings throughout his, his 24-game quality start run. We saw that, you know, once Noah Syndergaard kind of had his act together and was healthy, you know, we, we saw him throw two complete games. We saw Zach Wheeler regularly go at least seven innings. Even Steven Matz uh, found some, some length late in the year, if I recall. Um 
which which I think still though you know that's that's four guys who you know you listen it's going to be I don't want to say it's too much to ask because I think that that's you know what, what the team is going to be based on to a great extent but I I I think you you still need in this new age and uh, yeah not not that bullpen is something that has just been invented but. You know, for, for those days where, where Jacob DeGrom is not having a quality start, it's going to happen. Where Noah Syndergaard, God forbid he gets any more hand, foot, and mouth disease, but, you know, we you know, can, you know, get out of a fourth inning or, or struggles for five innings. You know, you you, you need to the, – the Mets are, are, I think, you know, are lucky to compete on a level with starting pitching that, that I think is going to be tough to match for other teams, but they are far behind in the bullpen sense right now. And, you know, that they don't come out of 2018 with really anything in place other than maybe Seth Lugo that you feel really good about. And Seth Lugo, you know, may, you know is maybe a, rele- a starter in reliever's clothing. And then that's a whole other story for the future. But, um, you know, I, starting pitching, I, I think, is still an advantage. I don't remember which game it was whether it was in the NLCS, whether it was in the World Series, it's, it all seems so long ago now. Um, but somebody pitched, you know, six or seven innings, maybe took it into the eighth inning. And I was like, God, this is so much, so much better than what I've been watching for the last few weeks. Because every night, and I, you know, I, I get the, the kind of the, the desperation that hits a manager in October that there's no time to, to mess around and leave a guy out there to find himself. And it's a, it's a lot different than, than May or June where you might say, well, you know, let's see if he can get out of it. So, um, you know, it, it is all, it's, it's a whole new world, whether we, we like it or not. And, and unless somebody decides to be the innovator where the innovation is, we're leaving guys out there for seven innings every night, regardless. Uh, which you know, you know what, what they say: everything old is new again. Um, you know, this this just seems to be where we're headed. And you know, it it just again, <laughs> given the, uh, the 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 subject of the evening, um, it, it just comes back to saying, wow, it makes what Jacob Degrom did all the more impressive because hardly anybody was doing that this year. Gary, uh, DeGrom posted an 11.2 strikeouts per nine innings ratio this season. Would it surprise you if I told you Tom Seaver never averaged double-digit strikeouts per nine innings? And would it surprise you if I told you that in 1985, Doc Gooden only averaged 8.7 strikeouts per nine innings pitched? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would surprise me. I'm shocked at that, actually, but, uh, wow, now you caught me. I, I don't even know what to, how to react to that. All right, that very is, quickly, is, Greg, what do you say about that? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really shocked, uh, only because, you got to remember that Seaver's strikeout totals for seasonal strikeout totals, while they were the, the highest in Mets history, 289 and 283, respectively, he pitched so many more innings. So, right. and, and and Gooden, for that matter, in his fantastic year, the one we we all use as a touchstone, mm-hmm. you know, pitched far more innings than he did as a rookie, but had fewer strikeouts. And even by then, although it would become more pronounced in 86, you know, the questions were like, why aren't you striking out as many? Like the, oh, my God, Dr. K aspect of the, the strikeout was really, 
the second half of his rookie year, and even you know the first half of his rookie year, where he took your breath away, became a, a little more really you know a lot more of a fully uh, accomplished pitcher. Jacob Degrom, on the other hand, and to take nothing away from Jacob Degrom because it's very impressive that he can strike out twelve or thirteen in a, in a game. It's just not the same. Oh my God! Somebody struck out thirteen batters because <laughs> the way everybody swings for the fences today, mm-hmm. and you know, because there there is the sense that if you swing for the fences, you will hit one out, and it seems to happen more often than it used to. But it also means a lot more strikeouts. So you know, the game has changed in that that way. That I'm not utterly surprised. I, I'm surprised that. that if I think about it, it's not surprising. I didn't know necessarily DeGrom's rate was, you know, 11 per nine innings. But I'm, I'm not shocked that, the, that it wasn't as high in those days, only because it was such a, you know, it was such an outlier when somebody would strike out double digit. And, you know, other than Nolan Ryan doing it, you know, as a matter of course forever, now, you know, you see it more often. But, again, because you're, you know, I think that's just the way the game is played. And the rate is going to be higher because, you're pitching more innings and or less innings, excuse me. And you know, it, uh, then again, hey, maybe he's able to you know throw seven really strong innings because we're not sending him out there to the eighth and ninth uh, every five days, and it doesn't take its toll. Which you know is, is one of those things you sort of have to look at. At the same time as you're, you're kind of saying, you know, gee, it would be nice if these guys would, would stay longer. You know, you're always, I guess, giving up something to get something. Um, you know, I'd also like to like to think Seaver, uh, especially, you know, knew enough, and I, I think Gooden certainly try, tried to uh, to have this work for him. Uh, you know, that striking out everybody in sight is, is is entertaining, and it's overwhelming. But you know, it you can preserve something uh, if you get a ground ball, and if if you're fortunate enough to have infielders who can pick up ground balls, which isn't always the case with the Mets, so. Um, <laughs> I know you get it's just every you you look you look down the uh you know, if you look at the box scores from this year, you know, Zach Wheeler, I don't know what his rate was, but it, you know, he'd start struck out seven and in seven innings, seven or eight, and you know, when, when I was growing up, like seven strikeouts in a game was like very good. And anything really, you know, in double digits was was astounding. And now it's like, oh, okay. Nine strikeouts. Well, that's how he got the outs. So uh, still Still, a guy, you know, we don't, I don't, maybe, maybe others do, but I never really think of Jacob DeGrom as a quote-unquote strikeout pitcher, yet, you know, look at the numbers he's put up these last two years, and, you know, they are certainly comparable with, with all the great strikeout pitchers in Mets history. So it's, um, you know, it, it, I think it will be interesting to see what, what, how it tells, how it reflects next season and the seasons to come. You know, yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation, I suppose. But you know, the, the fact that that Jacob Degrom has, let me exactly say, he broke through this year because he was already an All Star, he was already a Rookie of the Year, he was already a top pitcher. He's thirty years old, and um, putting Dickey aside, the, the knuckleballer and then you know, the singular presence, Seaver was twenty four when he first won the Cy Young, and uh, you know, I guess what twenty eight and thirty when he won the other two. Uh, Gooden, you know, famously was 20 in 1985, and usually, you know, you you don't ascend to this level of greatness when you hit 30. Uh, hopefully, uh, this is only the beginning for Jacob Degrom, and 
It, it will, but it will be interesting to see what, what these two seasons of striking out so many batters and throwing relatively this many innings. So understanding that he started a little later and you know had had a step back because of Tommy John surgery, what impact that has. Well, look, let's delve into that. First, Gary, I'm going to cycle back to you and I'm going to see if I could give you another jolt, another surprise here. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't tally 1969. I don't know why. So, omitting that season, 1973, Tom Seaver has a 7.8 strikeout rate. 1975 posts an identical 7.8 strikeout rate. Like I said, Gooden is 8.7 in 1985. R.A. Dickey was 8.9. He was above Seaver and Gooden. Like I said, that's uh, 1969 withstanding. That surprised me. And that DeGrom averaged 11.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Does that surprise you? Well, as my good friend uh, Greg Prince just explained it, uh, did, now I'm not so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so surprised because they, they, they do throw less innings and, and yeah. I guess the averages are higher than uh, so, uh, you know, it's it just, I guess it just shows the evolution of the game. And, and like Greg said too, uh, you know, there's a lot more free swingers. They're all swinging for the fences. The strikeout is not considered a bad thing. I mean, when we were a kid, you struck out a lot. That was like horrible. Even playing yourself. Yeah. You, you know, if you struck out in a game, you felt like crap. And Dave uh, King would, would be making $35 million a year right now. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, you know, now it's just like, well, it's an out. Well, okay. I'm sorry, it's not an out. And, and you know, you can give me all the numbers that you want about it. But the fact of the matter is, yes, I don't want a guy hit into a double play. You'd rather have him hit a strikeout. But you know what? If he hits the ball, something else could happen that can't happen if he strikes out. And uh, you know, with that emphasis, the, you can almost see why the numbers are, are higher. And again, like Greg said, uh, they just don't pitch as deep. Though though Degrom did pitch pretty, you know, uh, high number of innings this year, they don't pitch as deep as the guys used to pitch. Uh, Degrom pitched seven innings or better in 21 of his starts. He averaged 6.2 innings per start over the course of the season. Uh, let me see if we can compress a couple of subjects into one conversation here. Uh, question. How much credit does Dave Island get? Question. How much does Dave Island and Mickey Calloway get? Or is just this, or is this just a, a, a DeGrom thing? That we have to talk contract extension. Greg mentioned he is 30 years old. We have him for two more years of arbitration before he's eligible for free agency. So that being said, as Greg again alluded to, you know, this season, last season, this year, this season, he's finally letting loose. Uh, just looking at his stats right here, well, you know, in 2017, forget the record, but his ERA was 3. 5-3 over 201 innings pitched. This is the second, second consecutive season of 200 innings pitched. Uh, so all that being said, how much credit are we giving Dave Island considering the, the, the 
what appears to be a vast improvement over his first four seasons in the pros versus 2018. So I'll I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Gary, this time. Well, I mean, I think you have to. I don't know the exact uh, percentage of 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 uh, credit you would have to give him, but you'd have to give him something. You'd have to give him something for the whole staff. We didn't see it as much in the first half, uh, but it it showed itself more in the second half with the uh, um, or uh, you know what really was impressive to me was the emergence of Zach Wheeler. That and I think you have to give a lot to Ireland and and. Probably Callaway had a word or two in there as well. Um, I, you know, I couldn't put a number on it. Uh, the Gromit had some good seasons before. As you said, he's been an all-star. He was rookie of the year. I, I think he was evolving to this point as a pitcher. And uh, whatever Island helped him with, um, you know, he deserves to have the credit given in, in Callaway. And we, we may never know what what he did, in, you know, unless uh, DeGrom comes out and says, well, he, he had me throwing here or what. But um, we did see some improvement. We saw, uh, you know, uh, an improved Matt. Uh, as I said, Wheeler was unbelievable. Um, this whole, pretty much the whole season, this is a guy that didn't even make the team out of spring training. Um, you know, Syndergaard had his share of ups and downs, but uh, looked pretty good towards the end of the season when he pitched more regularly, and I think that's the key. Uh, I think the, the whole key with this staff, and even with this team, is health. Health is going to be the big thing, and we've been saying this for years. But I think that's going to be uh, the thing that we we see the most of. And as far as giving him an extension... I think they're probably about two years too late. They probably should have got him two years ago and signed them to like an eight-year deal. But, um, you know, his former agent is now his boss. So uh, what what uh, Brody can come up with, um, you know, he may be creative and come up with a nice deal. And uh, DeGrom is, is a little older. He may not be as... Uh, Looking for as much money, uh, you know, relatively speaking, uh, he does have two kids. He's got a family. He's very settled in his life. Um, he might be looking for some security in a five-year deal. I don't know, uh, $100 million, $150, I don't know. It's not my money. <laughs> he might uh, be willing to go for something like that. So. Uh, I think that'll be something we'll have to watch all season. And then, you know, even, uh, again, going back to something I said earlier about more optimism, Mickey Calloway looks a little bit better in everybody's eyes, I, I think. I mean, this is what I'm hearing around. People aren't as upset as they were at the end of the season or in the middle of the season. Um, even with Calloway, it's like, oh, okay, let's give him another chance. And... You know, I, I, I had said a number of times, I think I said on this show, I said it on my show, that Callaway seemed to change after Alderson was gone, which could mean, you know, any number of things. Um, maybe Alderson was on his back all the time. Um, maybe he couldn't do things he wanted to do. Uh, because if you, if you think back, and, and Greg, you probably got a better memory than I do on this, but if you think back over the season... 
to me, um, once Alderson left, then we started seeing, you know, small baseball uh, hit and runs and, and guys trying to steal bases. And, of course, you know, bringing McNeil up gave them that type of player that they could punch in there and, and could do those kind of things. But I, I don't know. I know it's the vast thing after Alderson, and, and I may be off way off the track, but that's um, – I don't any of you guys notice that too? It's well, fascinating Alderson. you say that. I'm sorry. Go right ahead, oh, Greg. Go ahead. My apologies. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say Alderson uh, stepped aside in late June. We all remember that June was the, you know, the Mets Waterloo. Uh, although they were already heading in that direction, really, after the uh, 12 and two start. Um, yeah, on, on Callaway, you know, I, I think uh, I, I don't really know golf, but I understand the expression a mulligan is sort of a do-over. You can tell me if I I, I got that right, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think being, being fair-minded fans and the fact that he made it through year one, I think we're all willing to give Mickey Calloway a mulligan, uh, partly because there's nobody else coming through that door and partly because, well, maybe he had, didn't really get a chance to, you know, show whatever it is that impressed Sandy Alderson and Jeff Wilpon uh, when they hired him. I, mean, I was always uh, you know, taken by the fact that as bad as he might manage an individual game and as bizarre as some of his answers could be in the post post game uh, press conference as he tried to explain himself he was always you know up for the next game he never seemed miserable you know at, when you heard him you know do his four o'clock presser when you heard him do you know his spots with the likes of Steve Gelbs and Wayne Randazzo uh, he was that same guy who you saw introduced to the media the previous autumn. And, you know, when I saw a, a couple of glimpses of him uh, in, the, in the context of congratulating DeGrom, uh, I got a good feeling again. Maybe it's mm-hmm. because he's nowhere near a lineup card right now. And uh, Mickey Calloway is a great, a great manager when there's no baseball. I don't know. But uh, I, th- I think Dave Island definitely does deserve some of the credit. I, I think, you know, again, Jacob DeGrom was not that far off from ascending to this level, but, uh, you know, Island preached throwing inside, and that seemed to make all the difference. Not, not Again, not that DeGrom needed a great deal of difference in his game, but in, in, a, in a, and somebody explained this, uh, uh, I, I did not uh, come up with this observation myself because I, I really don't have that kind of technical view, view of, of things, but, uh, you know, at any time where, where you are swinging for the fences to pitch up and inside uh, is a benefit. And DeGrom mastered that. And, you know, he, I, I heard him interviewed today. He said he didn't really, you know, change, didn't really change anything about his, his arsenal, uh, his repertoire. Uh, but, you know, he, he had confidence in it, and you know he was kind of he's determined to make all of his pitches work. So I don't know how much of that is is island. It's you know maybe it's really a matter of a fresh voice. Remember, um, for a second I forgot his name, Dan Worthen, who was only only there for almost ten years. Uh, I know I forget his name. You know maybe his magic. You know people were crediting Dan Worthen left and right uh, when this team went to the World Series. And maybe, you know, it was just time for a, a new voice uh, in the clubhouse, uh, whether that was both Callaway and Island or, you know, 
uh, just something that the pitchers picked up on. Then again, if Island is such a genius, why was the bullpen so terrible? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, one of the things I like that DeGrom has said throughout all of this, not not only uh, when he won the award, but, you know, as he you know, was basically answering the same set of questions every five days, was, you know, he eliminated the bad outing, which uh, I imagine is easier said than done. But, you know, looking back over his game logs from 2017, when a, you know, an ERA that was more than twice as high as this year's and won five more games for a team that won seven fewer games, so... You know, go go take that to math class and make sense of it. But uh, you know, every now and then, he would just throw what what, what uh, the people in the trade would call a stinker. He would give up, you know, six runs in six innings and and get racked around somewhere. And then he'd come back and he'd be fine. But there'd be nights where he would basically be Rafael Montero or somebody like that. Um, to be able to generate, you know, not just consistency, which I think he he had pretty well, but excellence where there wasn't. You know, you, you look at Cindergaard's year when, when he, you know, was, was done being injured, and, you know, he did throw some masterful games, especially in September, but he also threw some terrible games. And, you know, you, you just squirmed in your seat watching him. Uh, and you never got that with DeGrom. And you, and you got it with Wheeler for half a season. You know, again, after Alderson left, come to think of it. Um, you know, I, I don't know about the, the Alderson connection. Again, it, it, it was kind of interesting watching the uh, the reception that Ben Van Wagenen got. Uh, you know, eight years ago it was Alderson and and, and uh, his deputies, uh, the guy who just left for Charty, and uh, Dee Podesta who, who who left for the excitement of Cleveland Browns football. Like that, this was going to be our our liberation from from the mundane. And you know, we had our moments certainly. We had 2015 and 2016, but you know, unfortunately. Uh, messages wear out, and perhaps the industry—and I hate calling it industry—that's what people call the industry moves on, and there are the guys who were considered the, the great innovators of 2010 or the great innovators of 2002, who you got in 2010 by by 2018, whatever alchemy they were responsible for wasn't translating. Um, you know, there are probably some some eternal truths and excellence that that transcends. Uh, the times, and there are probably times where you get you, you fall behind the curve. So maybe some of that happens later in the Alderson period. I, I don't, you know, again, this is all speculation. I, you know, it was not behind the scenes. I have no inside information. But um, you know, again, we we had a guy in in, in, uh, in Callaway who I I think we were happy to follow into. You know, battle may be too heavy a word, but we were happy to follow into the season. Had a great message. And, you know, it, again, lasted 12 or 14 games. And after that, he just seemed helplessly overmatched. I hope that Van Wagenen, who I, I think also brings that kind of freshness and optimism, uh, knows what the hell he's doing. <laughs> we're, we're feeling like, wow, that, that Van Wagenen was, was, you know, just what this team needed. And the Van Wagenen-Callaway partnership is he's one for the ages. Or it could be that uh, next year we're saying, well, okay, he's, you know, we, we give Van Wagenen the mulligan and he gets to pick a new manager now. Um <laughs> Hard to say. As far as far as the Guam and a you know extension or whatever, you know that's that's a real tough one because you you, you know again the, the cliche that you know you don't want to hold on to a guy one year too long as opposed to you know get rid of him one year too soon. And is it you know I think Jacob Degrom seems like the kind of guy who's going to be very good for for a while to come. Possible that we've seen the best we're ever going to see of Jacob Degrom is 
would it, wouldn't it be strange to get something better than this year? Um, and, you know, whatever other concerns I have in terms of building a team and building a, a roster and building an offense, and, you know, that's something that they take all the stuff into account. I mean, if I they put me in charge, I, I would re- I'd sign everybody a 10-year contract on sentiment. But if I was doing it based on uh, my, my fear that, that things aren't going to work, out, I wouldn't sign anybody to a contract longer than three years. Because I, I just, you know, nothing good ever comes out of, of that. I was found myself reading something I, I wrote late in 2015 in the off-season about Cespedes. At the time, we, we didn't know that he was coming back. And I was just sort of speculating that, you know, boy, wouldn't it be great if we, we got him back? Although, like, and I, I, used the, I used the exact year, 2018. I said, by 2018, we're probably wondering when we can get out from under his contract. And that's pretty much what we're wondering right now because it's on the sideline till at least the middle of next year. And I don't think we are looking at Cespedes the way we did, uh, you know, when we were were all on a honeymoon together in 2015. So, you know, those are big decisions. And that's why they they hired, uh, well, you know, they hired Brody Van Wagenen. And Brody Van Wagenen will hire people to help him make those decisions. But, you know, again, you know, as a fan – I don't want to see Jacob DeGrom in any uniform other than the Mets, and I want to see him continue to pitch as he has for the first five seasons of his major league career. And, uh, you know, he is, you know, just on performance, never mind, uh, you know, contract terms, he's the last guy I'm worried about right now. Uh, even if he doesn't ever, even if he never pitches like 2018 again, I'll, I'll settle for 2016, 2017, years like that. You've covered a lot, gentlemen. Uh Here's the big moment of truth. Where would you rank this season amongst the Mets Cy Young Award winners? There's Tom Seaver's season of 1969. There's 1973 and 1975. Dwight Gooden's 1985. And Ari Dickey's 2012. Six Cy Young seasons. Where would you rank the Grounds? Well, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that uh, first. Um, yeah. Gooden's was so so overwhelming. It's just hard to pick against uh, Doc's 1985. Although you know the ERA was only what 0.17 difference, but you know, boy, you just Doc did it during a pennant race. Uh, it unfortunately, didn't work out. I you know never forget Wally Backman's remark when the Mets finished three games out. He said, "Well, it's Doc's fault. He lost four games." But um, <laughs> and you know. Funny, Seaver's 73. I keep wanting to say 71 is, is part of this, but seven, 71 was the year Seaver you know, went on a tear to get to 20 wins and finished with a 1.76 ERA, which I can't believe that DeGrom has bettered. And he didn't win the Cy Young because of the hegemony of wins. Uh, Fergie Jenkins had 24. Not, you know, he sort of the, the Max Scherzer in, in that year's equation, except he won. Um, but Seaver, got robbed in 1981 in, as well. Sorry. <laughs> That's true. And I'm like, you know what? But, 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 by the way, 1977, this traumatic moment where he goes from being a Met to a Red, he never he never stops for a minute. He wins 21 games that year, seven for the for the Mets, 14 for the Reds. I don't think he's ever really gotten the credit for that. I, I remember looking at voting in the, you know October, November of 77, whenever it was, and saying, how did Seaver not beat Steve Carlton? But that, now, now I am, uh, you know, I, I won six Cy Youngs for uh, Tom Seaver's mantle. But anyway, um, 73 is interesting because it was revolutionary that you gave the Cy Young to a guy who won only 19 games <laughs> that, that year. 
it's, it's weird going back if you were to look at it. Um, the National League had one 20-game winner that year, which was Juan Bryant, who was nobody's idea of a great pitcher, but he won 24 games, so he must have been pretty good. And Seaver was next with 19, but Seaver led the league in basically everything, sort of like DeGrom, and he did it, you know, lifting the Mets through September and, you know, keeping them around so they could stay close. And we, uh, you know, we all know that 1973. Uh, 1969 is, by the way, I, I looked it up, Mike, just because you mentioned this, uh, 7.6 strikeouts per nine innings for Tom Seaver that year. Uh, 25 wins looms large in the Mets story. A quarter of all the wins uh, that the Mets had in their 100-win fairy tale was Tom Seaver winning 25 games at a time where it would, never would have occurred to anybody to not be impressed by 25 wins. Um, so but, you know, those those seasons, you know, live in Met Lord and mentioned 75, but to, you know that's that's when I, I lived and died with every single day as a 12-year-old, and you know it, it was it was thrilling to watch him come back from his 11-win off season in 1974. Even though you know years later you, you looked at the peripherals and said, "Wow, this Tom Tom Seaver's worst season as a Met." was great. <laughs> it was, like, not that good uh, when you were living it. And, of course, Ari Dickey's year, uh, you know, when you mentioned uh, his strikeout rate, which I think was, was higher than Goodens and Seaver when you were going through it before, uh, I'm not surprised by that because he was just so baffling. And, you know, to me, I don't think I've – there were greater individual games when you, you know, measure context and circumstances, but – I just remember Ari Dickey and those back-to-back one-hitters in June of 2012, especially the second one against the Orioles. I never saw a team facing the Mets, and this includes Seaver, this includes Gooden, and even DeGrom, (laughs) um, where I saw opposing batters who seemed so completely not in the same game as the pitcher. To me, that that night, R.A. Dickey was just having a game of catch with, I assume it was Josh Tolley. Uh, They just looked baffled, and they wanted to give up. And this was an Oriole team that wasn't bad. They went to the playoffs that year. So, you know, you're going up against some great seasons in Mets history, uh, great pitching seasons. That said, I don't know if I ever saw anybody who was just beginning to end so consistently excellent as Jacob deGrom. I mean, not not just the numbers, which – speak for themselves, the 1.70 ERA and, you know, the, the impressive for 2018 innings pitched and all, all the rate stuff and the, the strikeouts. But just like, you know, he, he, it, I just got the sense that the idea of giving up a run, let alone giving up a base runner, offended him. Like it was against his religion. That <laughs> he just you know, didn't put guys on base, and when, and when he did, he just wasn't going to let them score. And, and the fact that you know, the, the way that you know we shudder when we invoke names, and you'll excuse me that that I do here, but just for educational purposes, for Terry Pendleton, for Mike Socia, for Yadier Molina, guys like those. Um, to me, down the stretch, guys like Brock Holt and Lewis Brinson. And as a batter, Madison Bumgarner, like, I just like ate away at my, my goodwill because, oh, my God, I can't believe they uh, – Madison Bumgarner doubled in a run. Or maybe it was two runs. I don't remember at this point. Or Lewis Brinson, he had him 0-2. And, 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 the, and he got to DeGrota. And I realized I, I might put it 
putting these like stray one scoring hits on on a pedestal because it was so unusual to see Jacob give up anything to anybody. And I and, and as great as Gooden was in eighty five, I never had that sense that it was impossible that he would give up a run. Maybe, you know, it was disappointing when he would, but DeGrom got to the point where you just didn't expect him to give up a run. You didn't expect him to give up too many hits. You didn't expect him to walk anybody. And this this is not default major league pitching in 2018 or really any year, maybe 1968 that I, I didn't I didn't see firsthand. But um, you know, every start, Jacob DeGrom was the year of the pitcher reincarnated. And there was something about the feeling I got from it uh, that I would put it up against any one of the Cy Young, the other five Cy Young awards and seasons. And uh, he is, you know, a worthy companion to those, to those guys. Uh, you know, Dickie's Met career was briefer, but, you know, obviously Seaver is, is Seaver and Gooden is Gooden. And now we can say with, with no elaboration, DeGrom is DeGrom. And, you know, I, I don't think I ever used the word before to describe a Met, a, a pitcher or a hitter in, in my now 50 seasons of watching them. But it was really a privilege to watch this season wind down the way it did. Uh, September, again, a, a miserable season, a year when there was nothing else on the line come September, but every one of his starts, you know, and really from, I don't know, the middle of August on when, when, you know, the Cy Young really became a crusade, um, you know, you just felt like you were, you know, you, you were transported from City Field or from your couch. You know, you, you were sitting in one of those private boxes at, at, at the Metropolitan Opera, and you were seeing, you know, one, one of you know, the, the great virtuosos uh, of his time. And, uh, you know, it was like that with Good, and it was like that with Seaver, of course, but there was something, you know, this, this spell – for something very special. And, um, you know, I'm glad he's got the hardware to show for it. And, uh, boy, it would, it would be great. You know, unfortunately, as, as sports fans, what do we ask for? We ask for an encore. So uh, we are going to ask him for an encore, uh, you know, next March. But uh, we, we, we can sit back and, and enjoy this. And uh, it, it's always fun as a fan that when you get to change the count, Mike, as, as you just did, uh, you know, for years, well, the Mets have won – three pennants. Well, in 2000, now they've won four. And then in 2015, for years, I'd said, well, they've only been to the World Series four times. Guess what? They've been five times. And now we get to add, just like it was, you know, it was a jolt to do it with R.A. Dickey in 2012 because we've been stuck on four for years. Uh, then we were at five for a few years. We didn't think about Cy Youngs because nobody was winning them. And now, wow, we, we get to update the total. This is fun. This is great. And I'll just throw one, one more thought for the greatest Met uh, ever. Um, it has taken 43 seasons, but now everybody who's ever pitched for the Mets who isn't Tom Seaver now has as many Cy Youngs as Tom Seaver. So three for I Tom Seaver, three for the rest of uh, the New York Mets. I saw that tweet you made. I loved it. <laughs> uh, one last note about Tom Seaver. Another shame about that 77 season. He missed 200 strikeouts by four. Otherwise, yeah. he would have extended his streak to 11 seasons. That's a shame, another shame of 1977. Uh, I'll also make this observation before I go back to you, Gary. Uh, Tom Seaver had a superior receiver in Jerry Grody. Doc Gooden had a superior receiver in Gary Carter. 
Jacob DeGrom, not so much. Take it away. Come on. He had Plowecki. Mizorocco, his personal catcher. There you go, Mizorocco. Yeah, that's a good point there, but... Uh, uh, I think if you ask Grody, he didn't do. He didn't tell Seaver much. <laughs> I think Seaver knew what he was going to throw, uh, though he wasn't as nasty as, as Gibson was towards Tim McCarver. Uh, but uh, he he knew what he was doing, and I think they thought along the same lines, which was great. Um, and and Gooden really uh, needed an older influence. And uh, but but you know if if. Um, if we go back to the ranking of, uh, I, I, I think Seaver's 69 has to be on the top simply because of the whole season, you know, and, and I'm older than you guys. And, and I remember it as a 15 year old high school kid. And it was just suffering, long suffering with these, this team for seven years, doing nothing, constantly being in last place, being laughed at all the time. And then uh, to be on top of the world and the way the season came about, um, it was really, uh, you know, I hate to say it, it's so cliche to say it was a magical time, but it really was. I mean, man walked on the moon, uh, Woodstock, I mean, every, and the Mets won the world. So the Mets won the world. So, holy cow. <laughs> you know, even today thinking about it, it, it still sends a, uh, uh, a special uh, thrill or chill up your my my uh, in my bones, but um, so I'd have to rank that second. I think Goodens was uh, the, uh, first. Uh, uh, I think Goodens is definitely second, and I think the Groms would come in third uh, out of the uh, the uh, you know uh, Seavers two other ones were just as important, but the. Just something, I think, uh, as Greg said, the 69 uh, was the World Series and and a, and a pennant and all of that. Um, 85 was a pennant race when Gooden did it. And while DeGrom didn't do it in a pennant race, it was the excitement of the year. And it became an event like, uh, you know, I when, when the when, when Gooden pitched, especially the rookie year and uh, the second year, you couldn't get a ticket. I mean, it was an event in New York. Um, and then I, I had that feeling this year when DeGrom pitched, it was an event. And uh, people would look to try to work out the schedule to get tickets because DeGrom's going to pitch that night. And, uh, and he didn't disappoint either. Um, but, uh, you know, Dickies was nice, but, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, uh, it was fantastic to see a 20 game winner and then win the Cy Young. But, um, you know, maybe it's me. I didn't have the same feelings that I did, but, uh, uh, 69 with, with Seaver definitely for me. Um, the, the feelings were were there, the excitement, and I, you know, I, I tell this story. Uh, in August, I went to a game, and um, we said to my father, "Oh, you know, we'd like to go." My buddy and I, we'd like to go to one more game before the season's out. 
and um, he said, okay, let's get some tickets. And, and you know, I'm, I can't remember the date now. Uh, but it was the date night that they clinched the Oral East purely by accident. And and I can remember watching the paper as, as the game got nearby and they, met, and they were making this run the Mets for the division. And we were watching it. So we were looking at it, my friend and I, and we were saying, wow, if they can win here, 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 they could actually win this thing. And they could win it on the night we're there. Never thinking it was going to happen. And then, sure enough, it did happen. And that was that was an amazing evening. Um, I was at, uh, you know, uh, uh, Greg was at a lot more than I was probably at some of these things. But I was at the 86 Game 7, and that was an amazing evening. Um, so, you know, to, to be there when your team wins something, I'm just totally off the track now. I'm uh, <laughs> let me try to rein it back in. Uh, to me, I think Seaver, uh, saw young 69, number one, uh, Gooden in 85 and then DeGrom. I don't dispute 69 for a second, although I didn't experience it. I was only two years old. But I did get to see 75 up close. Uh, but 85 was just electric, as you say, Gary. It was that was an event. That was, you know, as a just uh, an insane teenager for me not to go out just to stay home to watch Dwight Gooden. That's how important it was to people. Yeah. Uh, you know, but Jacob Degrom's season, I appreciate it because it was. Dark. That that twenty nine straight game streak of of three runs or less uh, was a major league record. First he broke Dwight Gooden's club record, and then he broke the major league record that was set back in where is that piece of paper? Back in I think nineteen work with me nineteen ten Chicago Cubs King Cole. Uh, you know so. That we're talking about a record that stood for over a century. I think that says something. Uh, you guys explained very well the differences between, you know, Tom Sears' era, uh, era to Dwight Gooden's era to Dwight, uh, Jacob DeGrom's era as far as strikeouts and innings pitch and how everything has morphed since then. Uh, and I fully understand that. But just that sense of history uh major league history and Mets history uh I think is very special and I'm torn to really position one of these Cy Young seasons above another. Uh Docs was very special for completely different reasons. But you know at the same time he ultimately let us down at the end. You know, and, and that's part of my narrative when it comes to Doc Gooden and, and Tom Seaver. Well, you know, it wasn't his fault. Well, you know, depending if you're talking to Dick Young, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was young, but, you know, Jacob DeGrom, I, I, I get to see him as a full-blown adult, and I, I just appreciate the historical aspect. I don't know where I'm going to go with that. I don't know where to place it. I'm the one who asked the question, how about that? So I, I think we just say, go ahead, Gary. Uh, I, I was just going to say, Michael, that I think it's a lot of it, it it's really personal and, and how you felt at the time and, and what you remember. And, 
I think as you get older, you get tempered in your feelings too. It doesn't seem, um, you know, uh, 86 was fantastic. It was a great year. Um, but 69 was the first. And right. if, if for, for those of us that were around in 69 and knew, realized what was going on, it was really, it, it's, it's hard to compete with that, you know? Right. Um, uh, and yet I, I, I must tell you that in 2015, I, I, I shed a tear, I, I shed a tear because uh, it was so unbelievable to hear the Mets that my Mets that have been so lousy for so long uh, were actually, you know, first winning the division and then, and then uh, winning the uh, championship, the winning the pennant and then going into the world series. And, and, you know, like I said, I think my father wasn't around anymore. He he was around in 86 and uh, passed away in, in 2001, but he, 2000 he didn't really he was sort of uh out of it by then uh he was ill and so we really didn't get to share so this was but he was still with us um so 2015 had a different feeling for me and i i think as i said as you get older i think your feelings get tempered uh you're not high as low um, but you have different reactions to things. And uh, I, I think that takes a, a big, big part of it. No, I, I think well, what uh, Gary got really got at, whether he meant to or not, is that baseball is such an amazing game, not just because of all the things we love about it on the field, but the, the, the fact that it, it, it keeps adding more chapters and mm-hmm. the way it intertwines with our lives, and just you know, listening to Gary talking about you know the, the night the Mets clinched. I mean, that's basically where I came in in '69. Uh, you know, you know, picking up the newspapers and making sense of the standings, and and then learning that the Mets were on Channel Nine and all those sorts of things, and figuring out sports on the fly as a six-year-old. I didn't through the long-suffering part. To me, it was all new and wonderful, but I got the idea that it wasn't supposed to happen because everybody was calling them the Miracle Mets, and miracles don't happen every day. And, you know, to have that, you know, to, well, the, the beauty of, of, of being a fan like we are you know, forever is, you know, if, if, if you let yourself, you can isolate these moments and isolate these seasons, and which is why I think that, you know, what Seaver's Cy Young season means to you and what the 75 season means to Mike and you know what, what you know, that means to me too because I, I can just feel myself being a 12 year old again that year and and, yeah. and you know counting till, till he had the 200 strikeouts so he could set the record for most consecutive seasons with 200 strikeouts and, and keeping an eye out for Randy Jones's the results from the West Coast because I didn't want Randy Jones somehow passing Seaver. And, you know, fast-forwarding to, you know, what what that September and early October was like with Dwight Gooden in 1985. And remembering John Tudor kind of coming along on the outside track and saying, oh, I don't want John Tudor. Never mind the fact that with the Cardinals, I don't need John Tudor suddenly giving Gooden competition. And remembering back-to-back starts where, Gooden, I think, threw nine shutout innings and got you know got nothing for it because the games were scoreless because you know he was facing Fernando Valenzuela in one of those games maybe 
don't know if it was nothing, nothing, but it, it went into extra innings, and Davey Johnson would, you know, not, notoriously, shall we say, uh, never push good, and because in those days, you know, occasionally a starting pitcher would pitch a tenth inning, you know, and, and not collapse. But uh, and then it was a nothing, nothing game against Tudor, uh, you know, five or six days later in New York. So um, you know, you you remember that, and, and you know, Dickey. You know, it was such an out of the blue phenomenon, and, and in a way, perfect for your. For, certainly, in my case, I, I feel you know, as an adult, he's the kind of guy probably appreciated more because I had lived, and you know, because I you know, work work with words and language, and no mm-hmm. baseball player ever talked like R. A. Dickey, and it was so exciting not just watching him pitch, not just watching him baffle the the other team. But listening to him explain it and articulate it like nobody ever had and nobody ever will again. I mean, Jacob Degrom gives you know answers in complete sentences and is thoughtful and polite and serious and and you know can be lighthearted. But there's nobody like Ari Dickey when it when it comes to talking and that you know for for somebody who who loves language it, it was like my God like where did they get this guy he's fantastic and he gets he wins twenty games. <laughs> So, you know, every, every one of these types of seasons, and even the seasons that, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm sure you, you guys probably remember 1976 and Jerry Kuzman winning 21 games and not winning the Cy Young Award. And all the, the years we've pointed out, throw in 1970. Seaver led the league in ERA and strikeouts, but he had kind of a rough second half, and Bob Gibson ran away with the Cy Young. And I'm like, why didn't Seaver win it again? Uh, you know, these are, you know, and. You know, I, I guess, you know, again, I, I'm also going askew here. But, um, you know, you, you mark time with these guys and these seasons and the, the teams that surrounded them. And, you know, it's just so much fun picking apart the circumstances. Mike, Mike you bring up a great point that Jacob deGrom did it with, you know, Kevin Ploiecki and Devin Mezzarocco and a little bit of Darno early. And I think he probably had Jose Lobatone for at least one start, probably a Tomas Nito somewhere in there. So, you know, there was no... I mean, he, he preferred Mezzarocco, but Mezzarocco was getting hurt. He wasn't there at the beginning. Um, and it, it's, it's funny how, how you, you can never really create a formula because, uh, remember, with Syndergaard, his problem was keeping runners on base. Well, we better let him pitch to, you know, this catcher instead of that. Well, sooner or later, you know what? They ran anyway. So <laughs> you, you, you can never quite tell. But on, on the other hand, DeGrom loved pitching to Mezzarocco. Well, Mezzarocco is out with a bad neck. Well, he'll pitch to Ploiecki. He'll pitch to Nito. Then didn't really matter. And, and that alone is, is something to take into account. And, you know, listen, it, it was fantastic. I, I, I will have to, to go with, with Gary on uh, 1969 because I, I didn't, was not, you know, able to completely understand what was going on other than Tom Seaver was the best Met and he instantly became my favorite. But, you know, watching him in 73 and what, what it meant to have him and Kuzman and Matt White pitching the way they did in September and watching, you know, Seaver, you know, kept the Mets contending in 75 with the season he had until, you know, they just ran out of luck and gas and Pittsburgh asserted itself. And, you know, good. And, you know, I, I still can't get over, you know, September of 85 may have been just like the, along with a couple of others I can name, may, may have been the, the greatest month of my life as a Mets fan, even though the Mets did not win in the end because every game meant so much and every start of Goodens was, was at at this exalted level. And you had Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez and Daryl Strawberry. That's what I was thinking, wow, like if, if you could have like, more Jacob deGrom-like players, how good would the team be? Well, we got our answer in 85. You had four transcendent players at once on the same team. 
and they still couldn't win because they were unfortunately playing an, a good team going against them. And, you know, and, and, and again, Dickey, kind of similar circumstances. 2012, there wasn't anything to play for in the second half of that year. The team fell apart after the All-Star game, and Dickey, boy, I think sort of enjoyed the spotlight in a way or, you know, embraced it and didn't mind the fact maybe that the team wasn't doing all that great because he was just, ha- in a way, just happy to be somewhere considering, you know, what his career had been and how he had been, he sort of had to fend for himself all those years where, you know, they, they took away his bonus because they noticed something with his arm was up in that picture on the cover of Baseball America and he had to knock around the minor leagues and reinvent himself and, and the fact that he got, you know, that again, I, I was in the ballpark the day he, he won his 20th game, which more or less clinched the Cy Young for him. Remember, he beat out Clayton Kershaw, which is, was no mean feat. Um, 36,000, I was paying attendance, it was less than 36,000, but it was a, a great crowd for a final day of the season. It was a weekday afternoon, and there was like such a bond. And again, unfortunately, it, it, it dissipated because they traded him. Good trade. But, you know, but, but in that moment, it's like, wow, like we are all, you know, we are all lining up behind Ari Dickey, and he appreciates and he gets, and I will, just as, as, as long as I'm off on a tangent, I will never forget, I don't think, you know, his final appearance at City Field is Atlanta Brave, you know, them, he was, I think, no hit, either no hitting or shutting out the Mets into like the seventh inning, and they finally, Ploiecki got a three-run homer, and they finally chased him, and the Mets won in either, I think they won the bottom of the ninth on uh who was the guy? Tyrone, Travis Tyrone, I think, got the game-winning hit. It was, you know, you knew you would have a hard time remembering his name a year later. But, but uh, anyway, the point is that, that uh, Brian Snitker, NL manager of the year this year, comes out, removes R.A. Dickey. And R.A. Dickey, again, there's nobody in the building. I, I was watching on TV. You know, he gets a nice a standing ovation from Mets fans who remember 2012. It was only five years ago. And Ari Dickey does what no – Jacob DeGrom doesn't do it. Nobody on the team does. He tipped his hat, which I love. I mean, that's the sort of thing I live for, players, you know, being aware of fans and, and having that kind of connection. And, you know, that, that stemmed from that year and really those, those three years of Ari Dickey. So, and again, I'm not here campaigning for Ari Dickey or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, every one of these seasons is so special. And if, if you're lucky, you can kind of, like I said, isolate it and, and go back to it. And I, you know, I, I look forward to someday, uh, you know, when somebody else wins a Cy Young maybe for the Mets uh, and somebody else asks me a question, how does this one rank compared to Jacob DeGrom's? I say, well, you know, Jacob DeGrom was just impenetrable in 2018 and it was such a disappointing year and you know things were kind of there, there were some players who were showing themselves to be worthy as the year ended and we got kind of excited and maybe things worked out after I don't know but boy the way Jacob DeGrom gave up nothing in September and the way he really gave up nothing all year long and we, we had to point to a game where he gave up four runs and six innings in April and say that was his worst start and they won that game and uh, you know just can I, can I just say? Uh, I want to say one one word on behalf of the phrase "quality starts." As, as long as I'm on my soapbox here, um, I never heard of a quality start until about 1985. That, that entered the lexicon that year, and people laughed because six innings, three runs, an ERA of 4.5. Oh my God, how standards have fallen! But I don't think anybody really took into account when when mocking it was. I'm not saying every single game go out and pitch to a 4.5 year. I'm saying that's like the minimum. <laughs> Don't give up more than three runs. Pitch at least six innings. And the fact that Jacob DeGrom did that, 
24 consecutive games, once he got past that, that weirdness with the hyperextended elbow and the one inning in Philadelphia, that he goes out 24 games in a row right to the end of the season, never pitches less than six innings, often more, never gives up more than three runs, usually less. And you see what that means. Uh, you know, what, and the irony being that the idea of quality start is you give your team a chance to win. And what did the Mets do with that chance? Not very much. <laughs> Too many of those games because it was one of those years. But that, you know, kind of takes it back to what I was saying earlier, which is, you know, that this is why we will remember this season. That this was a guy who was better than his team. And his team, you know, strives to keep up with him. And, you know, you, you players who played with Seaver and players who played with Gooden said about, you know, we felt we had a chance to win. We felt we had to be better. But Harrelson always talked about it. Keith Hernandez talks about it to this day. Like, you know, you, you, you just, you know, were on point more so to use a Hernandezism. And, you know, I really, I think it took the Mets a while, but in September I really felt like, okay, now, now we're seeing a better team, not just, you know, in general, and they were a little better, but, we don't want to be the ones to blow this for Jacob Degrom, and it was it was it was exciting to see you know him him lift the team a little bit. I don't know how how capable they were of being lifted, but uh, I, I think he put them on his shoulders a little bit, and they you know came to his his aid as well. Again, you know if if we are to believe the ten and nine looked a lot better than eight and eleven or whatever it would have been, uh, we, we we can be thankful for that. So. Um, and you know what? Jacob DeGrom was pretty good before all this. Like we said, Jake, well, one thing that, that Jake had going for him, I think Ari Dickey did, that he did pitch in pennant races. He pitched in, in the postseason in 2015. He, when we were talking about postseasons and managers being desperate, remember game five of the 2015 NLDS that Jake had a couple of bad innings to start the game when you could not afford a bad inning because that's the series and that's your postseason, and then you go home and you know, there was every impulse you could feel it watching 3,000 miles away. Terry, get the bullpen up. Get Jake out of there. And he didn't. And Jake, like, inning by inning, you realize, you know what? The Dodgers stopped scoring here, and the Dodgers stopped putting guys on base. And you know what? I think we're going to be okay because Jacob DeGrom is one of the best pitchers in, in baseball. Never mind that we're facing Zach Granke. Um, and they hung in there, and six innings of Jacob, two to uh, – I guess, what, one inning of Noah Syndergaard when he had ever pitched in a relief before, and then two innings when, when that was revolutionary in the context of 2015 for Jay Reese Familia and, they, and you know, Daniel Murphy doing, doing all of his magic that October. And they pieced that together, and they got to play for the pendant as a result. So, you know, it's, it's just been a, a great career. And, you know, I, I'm now thinking about it, the way that we're talking about remembering Seaver and remembering Gooden, what it meant to us at those stages of our lives. Think about you know, the 15-year-old or the 12-year-old or the 8-year-old of 2018 and someday in, in whatever format or just casually, if, if they're not doing a podcast, they're going to talk about what it was like to watch Jacob deGrom in 2018 and what a formative experience it was and how they get chills remembering how he, you know, struck out his 1,000th batter and, you know, punched his glove or whatever he did. It says he was leaving the mound against Atlanta on September 26, 2018. And it's good to know that it kind of goes on like that, much much as I go on like that. So I will stop now other than to say thanks. Thanks for the chance to talk about uh, Jacob DeGrom on a snowy night. Uh, you know, going back to Ari Dickey real quickly, you know, remember he's a minor league contract acquisition uh, and in words and deeds, he became such an exemplary man. 
but I think this is just a proud day in Met history with regards to uh, its pitching tradition. Rookie of the year, Cy Young and Penance, Seaver, Gooden, and DeGrom. Just a happy day. Proud of DeGrom, and I just want to, you know, tell him thank you. Uh, thank you for her uh, and historic season. Uh, so, Gary, uh, your last word? Um, I just want to, you know, your sentiments. Uh, thank you for giving us a season that we will keep in our memory for that reason and for uh, doing a great job and, and uh, just making it interesting. Mr. Greg, final word? Thank you, Jacob DeGrom. Well said. I think we'll leave it at that. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, another just fine night of Metzian's Mets, uh, conversation. Can't thank you enough. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show like you do occasionally. Appreciate it so much. On behalf of Sam and Rich, I thank you so very much for joining us on a Metzian podcast. And with that, good evening, everybody. Thank you again, Greg. Thank you again, Gary. Good evening, you. gentlemen. Mm-hmm.